Hey guys, I'm your host, Mason Ball, and welcome to The Lookup. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jackson Phelps. What's up, guys? Today we have a very special guest. He writes for The Athletic, covering the Kansas City Chiefs, and one is, is one of the most respected journalists in the game. It's Nate Taylor. How are you doing today? Uh, incredible. Thank you. Uh, I, I need to put that on like my bio. The, one of the most respected in the game. It, 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 yeah. gives, me, it gives me great pleasure. Um, I know we've been trying to get to do this for a while now. And so I've, I've, uh, I've had you guys like in my thoughts and obviously I've listened to a couple episodes previously. So I'm just, you know, thrilled to be here. And thankfully we finally, you know, reached the Chiefs bye week. It's like, wow, that was nine right. long yeah. weeks. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. And I think it's like a breath of fresh air for like journalists that cover the Chiefs or for any NFL team that has their bye week, just because mm-hmm. my schedule is free now for at least two days during this week. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little different than like past years, where because of, you know, how the world is going, obviously with COVID-19 and you hope guys, you know, stay safe and healthy, yeah. and, you know, including yeah. me and my family. And I hope, you know, I'm glad to see you guys are doing well with, with your people. But, yeah, it's a little different. It's like, all right, I'm just going to chill at home. Like, don't do not do anything crazy. But um, in past seasons, I've actually still worked on the bye week. Like, I've either had a longer project that I would have more time to get to. Uh, this year, I'm like, no, man. Like, let's just – let's take a mental break from football and have fun with uh, with a lot of friends, you know, whether I can talk to you guys on Zoom or just, you know, people that I know around the league that we can kind of catch up. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, yeah, that's awesome. Um, so first off, um, when did you know you wanted to be a journalist? Oh, what a great question. Uh, I think I was 16. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I was 16 going into 17. Um, it was my junior year of high school and so i went to hickman mills high school um it's my dad South- my dad went there okay very cool yeah. what's your dad what's your dad's name uh matt phelps matt phelps okay mm-hmm. yeah shout out to matt um yeah yes yeah, so, so i graduated <laughs> at hickman mills in 2006 now i think the school district has consolidated the school like it's not hickman mills high school anymore it's like an educational center um yeah. but as a junior one of my good friends, Anthony Graham, um, he was like an editor for our school newspaper. And it was led by my uh, English teacher, who was also coordinating the yearbook and the newspaper. And her name is Karen Black. Um, I still talk to her all the time. She is still in Kansas City um, teaching mm-hmm. English classes for a community college. But one of the funniest things was I wasn't terrible at school, but I wouldn't say I was great. You know, I, I, I wanted to hang out. I wanted to, like, you know, do a bunch of things that weren't, like, strictly, you know, studying books. So I played sports. I was in band. Obviously, I, I you know, Anthony kind of wrote me in the, into yearbook and newspapers. And Anthony's point was, um, hey, you, you, you know a lot about sports, and you can write a sentence. <laughs> do you want to write? Do you want to write on the, on the school newspaper? And it's like, okay, I mean, like, I guess I can do that. It's a way for me to hang out with my friends. So, you know, there's a bunch of people that I'm still friends with now um, that were a part of that group. And so Miss Black was just like, hey, you know, you, you're not terrible at this, you know, you can get better. Um, and then 
kind of showing you, and we all need this in life, just showing you that, hey, this is a, an actual profession. Like people get paid to write about the Chiefs. People get paid to write about the Royals or whatever, you know, interest a common, you know, sports reader or sports fan. And mm -hmm. so I would read the Kansas City Star a lot in high school. Miss um, Black was, you know, talented and, and grateful enough to send me to like journalism workshops at Mizzou University. That's her alma mater. And um, at one of those workshops between my junior and my senior year, so this is the summer before you start your final year of high school and you're starting to figure out, okay, what do I, one, what do I want to do? Two, where do I want to go to college if I want to do that? Um, I don't really want to stay with mom and dad. They probably don't want me to stay with them, so I should probably figure something out. Um, and I looked at, you know, just this wall of plaques and it was like, oh, okay. Like, this is cool. Mizzou is like one of the best journalism schools in the country. Miss um, Black somehow, you know, found a way for me to like, see if this is something I want to do for college. And on the plaque was Karen Black, like high school journalism teacher of the year for the state of Missouri by like Missouri University. And I was like, oh, I can't remember what year it was, but it was obviously, uh, it was, I think it was like in the 90s. Uh, she was like either 1993 or 1995, somewhere in there. And it, it dawned on me and it's like, wow, she's still doing this a decade later. We still got all these computers. We still got the ability to really learn from somebody. It's like, oh, I should like listen to her. <laughs> like I should really, I should really like give this a shot. So the comparison that I always give to people is what Giannis Antetokounmpo said a few years ago when Jason Kidd was his head coach in Milwaukee. And Giannis, of course, is from Greece, uh, yeah. you know, came to basketball late, you know, was wildly talented, got drafted. And it's like, hey, this is cool. I'm in the NBA. And then he looked up who Jason Kidd was and was like, oh, I, I guess I guess he is a good coach. I guess I should listen to him. He's like in the <laughs> Hall of Fame. Yeah. So it was a very similar comparison. And uh, and that's how I got started was like junior, senior year of high school and then just applied to colleges and um started on the journalism track yeah that's cool that's, re that's really cool yeah so you know i think we might be in the same boat a little bit we we both have a journalism teacher uh in our journalism broadcast mm -hmm. class and sports journalism class uh, shout out to miss soby she's Sobe! probably our, yeah she's probably Sobe? our favorite teacher she uh oh yeah she, like sure. inspired both of us to like start you know a lot of this journalism and media stuff so i think once you know, I grow up, you know, something that we, because you mentioned that you mm -hmm. have wanted to be in journalism since high school. And I think we're both in the same boat a little bit. We either want to be in journalism or media or something like that. And mm -hmm. I heard you mention another interview also that you, you know, you think you were one of those few kids that like really decided what they wanted to do when they were younger, like 16 years old or whatever. So, you know, people in, our position, I'd say, maybe I can include us <laughs> in uh, your vote. Uh, what advice would you give to kids, whether it's journalism or whether it's another field, kids that have decided what they want to do from a young age? What advice do you think you would give them? Yeah, it's 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 such a fun time because the possibilities really are like just really available to you. And so Mm -hmm. I'm at a point in my career, which is like weird to say, it's like, oh yeah, I have like, I guess I have a career, but like, it is cool to say now, you know, looking back on what I've done over the past decade or so since I got out of college, 
and it'd be like, oh, maybe I do have, you know, words of wisdom to share. And I think for me, a lot of it is when you know you're passionate about something, like it always energizes you. It always motivates you. You're always inspired by somebody that is doing what you want to do or something very similar to what you want to do. Um, I, I've read people for years and now they're like my colleagues. It's yeah. amazing and hilarious at the same time. Um, like I love Joe Posnanski and I've done panels with him. I've done press conferences alongside him. Obviously we work at The Athletic together. It's an incredible like feeling to know that he was somebody who clearly inspired me and, you know, somebody clearly inspired him and the, you know, the trend just continues on. So if you're passionate about something, like you're willing to learn about it. So I would say you always want to have an educational mind to frame, um, you know, so much of journalism is like learning something new each day and then bringing that to your audience, to your reader. Um, and I also realized too that, you can take other things from your life and they can have an influence on whatever you do. So, you know, math is really important if you're going into music because you got to play on time, you got to find tempo. There's, there's real studies that say if you're good at math, you have a real chance to have like a nice musical career. Um, there's, there's situations where I can take something from whether it's biblical, whether it's family oriented. Um, a lot of things opened up when I became a parent like I have a five-year-old son now, so I can relate to people when I interview them a little bit differently um, if they have children. So you can take all these life experiences and be sort of a instrument to understand about life and how it, you know, sort of connects to your passion, whatever that may be. So fortunately, I was blessed at an early age, like you mentioned, Mason, to to want to do this. And I've just been given a lot of opportunities and you work hard, but it doesn't really feel like work. And that's, that's the best part. You know, I show up to Arrowhead Stadium on Sunday. And even though we're in a pandemic, even though, you know, I'm trying to wear a mask and do, you know, the proper social distance from everybody. When the game kicks off, it doesn't really feel like work. And yeah. that's the way it's always felt. And it's just like, man, my job is to just tell people in a very clear, concise manner why the Chiefs are great or why they stink or why the Panthers, you know, played them better than maybe everybody, you know, expected, including me. And yeah. I get to write about it. I get to talk about it. And it's, it's really cool to know that this is the same feeling I had back when I was 17, 18 years old in college or in high school, where I would watch my friends at Hickman Mills play Grandview in basketball on a Friday night. And I would be just as energized about, you know, why they either won or lost or what it could, what, it, what could have been the difference between, you know, the outcome and what could have happened had they done something else differently or maybe the coach made the wrong decision or what happens if this shot goes in versus it not going in. All of it is all of it is relative and it's, you know, thankfully it's all felt the same pretty much, you know, since I since I truly knew what I wanted to do um, because people like Anthony Graham and Karen Black really allowed me to see this world. That's awesome, dude. That's really cool. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That's that's uh, really cool to hear because this the things you're saying I can relate to so much saying like it doesn't feel like work as much because like, we have to turn in you know video projects every few weeks for our journalism class and more on like the journalism broadcast side not mm -hmm. really written journalism but 
you know, it doesn't really feel like, like schoolwork compared to, you know, <laughs> when I'm doing my, my science homework, because, yeah. you know, me and Jackson host a show about the NFL and we talk about football and things like that. And we make yeah. videos about music and things like that. And, you know, it's just, if I can yeah. do it in school and then I can pursue a career out of it, it's just, it's like a win-win because I, can, yeah. you know, it's amazing. Yeah, it and is. along with along with Mason, I mean, like what I do is I do sports broadcasting with Sobe. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a, on the sports broadcasting side, so like my grade, like legit grade, is just to go out and film games. Like I go out on Friday nights and film the football games and stuff. And like you said, it doesn't feel like work. Like this is what I want to do in the future, and me just pursuing it right now in high school, it's like it's kind of surreal, but at the yeah. same time, it's it's just like it's really fun. Like like just doing it is really fun. It doesn't feel like it's like a like a job or work, like you said, it's just fun to do it. Yeah, yeah. I enjoy it. Yeah, and you're and you're always, you know, because you guys are starting so early. I feel like, you know, like one. By the way, like there were no like cameras. <laughs> like we had, yeah. we had a, uh, we had some cannons. We had some like steel photos. But like it's just it's great what technology does now. Like smartphones mm-hmm. were like like I had a razor, y'all. Like a like a razor. <laughs> That like could take maybe one photo in like 2005, 2006. So all the technology helps people, I think, at a faster rate get better. Um, so it's just so cool that you guys even have the opportunity to have sort of this broadcast element that really wasn't around when I was in high school. But yeah, I mean, the more you do something, the more you learn like, hey, this is where I should be on the field. This is where I should, you know, sort of set up my, my the frame of my shot. Um, getting the highlight the right way. It's just, yeah, it's, it's so cool because you can see it, whether it's in local television or on ESPN or other networks or just what's going on on Instagram with like house of highlights. I mean, who doesn't love, you know, those guys, but it's, I love those guys, yeah. yeah, it's, it's so cool to just see um, if you really pursue this and you take, you know, real initiative to wanting to get better and improve over time, um, how quickly some people are, when they do get out of college compared to what it was like when I was around um, in 2010, like there's, there's a guy that covers the Royals for us at the athletic called Alec Lewis. And he's relatively young, you know, compared to me, but um, he's so much farther ahead than where I was when I came out of college. And that's always, I think going to be the case. And it's because more people hopefully like me are willing to give, you know, insight and tips and advice and people can just see it now and try it for themselves. I think in a manner that wasn't necessarily the case, you know, a decade or two decades ago. Yeah. I have a question right here. You, you mm-hmm. kind of talked about how like your influences in your career um, and like how school has really helped out. Um, is college necessary for journalism? Is going to college necessary for a journalism career? I, I think that everybody's path is, you know, obviously unique to some degree. Um, I think my college experience was awesome, but it wasn't exclusively tied to my career, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I, I went to Central Missouri. It's in Warrensburg. Um, it's like 45 minutes from where I grew up, where my, where my family's you know, house was, where my mom and dad were. So I was mm-hmm. comfortable like being in my own community, but at the same time coming back home if I needed to on the weekends or if there was something going on big in my family. Um, I feel like the college experience was, was pretty great because I don't know if I was like truly an adult <laughs> until like <Yeah>. 24. 
<laughs> um, my wife may have different ideas of that, uh, of that definition, uh, or if I, how much I was living by it. But like, I, I think for me, college was advantageous just because um, I still got experience. So I wrote for the student newspaper that's at Central Missouri. It's called the Mule Skinner. Um, mm-hmm. I was able to use that experience to sort of get, you know, more information and build more relationships in the industry of sports journalism or just newspapers as a whole. So I interned at a couple of newspapers when I was in college. I don't know if that would have necessarily happened if I had just tried to start my career, you know, strictly after graduating from high school. Um, there's just a lot of, you know, memories that are just full of fun with, with friends. Um, I met my wife in college. I met my wife on the first day I showed up on campus because she was on the same floor of the dormitory as I was because um, our dorms were co-ed. I don't know how if that's true now or not, but at the time our dorms were co-ed, we had, you know, men, men, women, women, and you can kind of go down the line. And so you would meet everybody on your floor. Um, that's where I met my wife. Um, so it's a very formative time in both my life and my career. And I feel like I know people who didn't, who either, I should say this, I know people who went to college and didn't study journalism or didn't even study like English as their primary focus. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I do realize that uh, for me, because I knew what I wanted to do so early, uh, that what UCM provided for me was real hands-on experience, similar to what you guys are getting in high school. It's just had a bigger version in college. And I think that led to a lot of, you know, opportunities to where once I did graduate, I felt secure that, okay, even though it's 2010, even though the country is coming back from a recession at the time, I felt, a, I felt pretty secure that like, hey, I'm, I'm going to get a shot to see if I can do this well. I don't know where the opportunity is going to be. Um, it wasn't at the Kansas City Star, which like bummed me out. Cause it's like, I, I, I would like to go back home and, <laughs> and write about, you know, all the, all the things that interest people here in Kansas City. So it took a long time for me to get to where I am now, but at least having the experience in high school, building off of that in college, it was successful for me. But I also know there are people too that are like, oh yeah, I, you know, I did this. And then somehow I sort of, you know, stumbled my way into writing or into podcasts or into sports television and it works for them. So I am always for going to college even if you like go there and you change your direction or you're like okay I've tried this but like this seems more interesting or this seems more like an opportunity to start my career whether it's from a job opportunity standpoint or maybe you can make more money or whatever the circumstances may be but I think starting in college at least giving it a shot I mean there's a reason why they call it the old, the old college try I think you should if you have the opportunity to go but I completely mm-hmm. understand that that's not the path that everybody needs to be good at this if that makes sense yeah for sure oh yeah it makes sense yeah I think it's definitely it definitely is like a good experience and if you even if you're you're in college for a few years and decide it's not for you if you if you're in journalism you cover sports you still get to cover d1 or d2 football Mm -hmm. you still get to be around you know all these sports and these different you know just all these different kinds of people and I think you know it might be a net positive for a lot of people whether or not you like want to continue school or not, because I think trying it out is definitely a good idea. Like you said. Yep. I, mm-hmm. I completely agree. So I'm going to switch um, gears a little bit and uh, kind of ask, do you have a question, Jackson? 
Oh, I was just, just going to ask, what was your favorite sport to cover in college? Like, you were at college. What was, like, your favorite sport oh, to cover? Uh, <laughs> uh, this may surprise people. I don't know. But it, it may or may not. It was not football. And okay. um, it wasn't baseball because, unfortunately, in college baseball, their season goes in through, like, I think June, and you're out of school by then. So, like, you – like, guys have either already graduated or you're already back home. So, like – it was cool to see right. baseball on like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday um, series with like another school and then be like, oh, wait, I can't see, like, I, I won't see where the season goes. Like, we, we'll just be home. Like, we'll, yeah. like, I don't have any more classes. <laughs> I don't have to be here. Like, sorry, guys. Um, so for that reason, it was basketball. Um, basketball was my favorite sport to cover. My friends to this day will say that um, I'm still itching to cover basketball. Uh, mm -hmm. Lord. Please let the Raptors come to Kansas City for, please. for these. Like, really please, please, so please, cool. Lord. <laughs> oh my Dear gosh, God, <laughs> I don't, dream, I don't. Man. Yeah, I, I agree, Jackson. I don't ask for much, Lord. I just need the pandemic to um, not be so deadly. And can we get the Raptors to play in Kansas City for the year because of obviously the travel restrictions between U.S. and, and Canada at the moment? Um, yeah. But in college, basketball was easy for me and really enjoyable because there's less guys on the team. So that's, you're really talking to about 12 guys. Um, yeah. Some of which that I went to class with, you know, I would see them either at class or in certain, certain circles. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the coach at the time was Kim Anderson. Uh, he was the oh, former. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. he, was wow. a former yeah, he was a former Mizzou coach, but before he went to Mizzou, he was building uh, a little bit of a dynasty at, at UCM. They did win the D2 National Championship, I think, in, like, 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. Um, okay. So, Kim was, like, really open and mm -hmm. was willing to be like, that's a dumb question, mate. And I'd be like, okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> and um, they they allowed me to, like, this is this is this tells you how different times are. Um, but Kim still allowed me to like travel with the team at times. So that's cool. I would right. be on the team bus as like again a college student writing for the school newspaper. Like I'm not on scholarship. Like there's no reason for me to be here. <laughs> but I I don't I, I wish I could ask him this sometime in the future. But he must have saw that like I wasn't terrible or that I was like really interested in like trying to write about the team and trying to inform uh the student body on campus and so they let me travel to like road games to northwest missouri which is like our rival at ucm i remember you know riding the bus to pittsburgh state that was an awful trip but it really <laughs> it really explains to you like the the player dynamics uh how they react to the coach uh what it's like to really travel on the road um in like the d2 environment because they didn't fly they obviously took a bus and yeah. i think my Freshman year, my freshman and junior year, the basketball team went to the national semifinals, which was in Massachusetts, where mm -hmm. the Basketball Hall of Fame is. And so I really got to travel with, like, the team. It was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, and at that point, I was like, man, I, I, you know, it's just one of these steps where you're like, okay, I really do want to do this because you're going deeper. You're getting really insightful knowledge with the team. And then when the team wins or loses – the longer you're with those guys throughout the season, and this is the same case with the Chiefs, they they kind of know you. They kind of know yeah. What, yeah. What, who you are as a person, what you're trying to get at from a question, and they may be more open to giving honest answers if you're around those guys more often. So basketball is just – it's a more 
communal sport where football mm-hmm. is, is very like militaristic and we can't give out any secrets. And why are you asking me all these questions? And yeah. you know, what do you mean yeah. it didn't work on third down? Basketball <laughs> is like, hey, we know who the best player is. Either he makes a shot or he doesn't. And here are all the things that lead around it. Um, and so it, it, was a, it was a fun time. But yeah, in college, I was like, I want to cover basketball. <laughs> yeah. So following up on basketball, uh, I saw you covered the Indiana Pacers. What was that like covering the, um, yeah, them? Uh, it, was, it was great. It was a two-year period um, that was started in 2017. And I saw the transition of an actual NBA organization, right? The mm-hmm. Pacers were considered really, really good at the time. They had this young, dynamic star player named Paul George. Who, who I, who I still love as like a, like a person. Like I love Paul as a person just as much as I love him as a basketball player. He's wildly talented, um, mm-hmm. which tells you how good like people like LeBron are. Where it's like, no, Paul George is one of the greatest basketball players I've ever seen in my life. It's just it's a league full of Steph Curry's and Giannis's and LeBron James and ads. <laughs> right. But, but right. um, yeah, I travel to most of the road games. Um. Again, it's the same situation where it's about eight to 12 guys. You get to know them really well. Um, there's all these themes in a season. And this is what I've tried to tell some people in the past is, you know, you have to look at an NBA or an NFL season as if it's a theme to like, if it's a television show or if it's a movie, like what are the main storylines? You know, what are the expectations going into the year? Does, does the team sort of make it or not? Um, kind of like the last dance with the bulls on exactly. that season. Like Phil Jackson's like, this is going to be our theme, the last dance. Like yep. that kind of like what? Yeah, exactly. And so my first year covering the Pacers, it was like the theme of the year was they were trying to hold on to something that was not going to last. <laughs> okay. And you're sort of seeing each step as it goes. Um, and then when the season ended, they lost in the first round of the playoffs to the Toronto Raptors in seven games. Paul George was incredible, but it was clear that like, hey, you can't you can't win in the playoffs with just one guy. You have to change everything up. So Larry Bird was the president of basketball operations, essentially the general manager. He made a whole cell of changes to bring in this whole new roster. And it was Larry's it was really Larry Bird's last attempt to rebuild the Pacers on the fly in a one year period, which is hard to do in the NBA. And so year two was a lot about the pressure of can this plan work when you're doing it literally on the fly? When it's like, you're not drafting anybody in the top five, you're, you're, you're trading for guys like Jeff T you're bringing in, you know, some valuable players like Thaddeus Young, who's a veteran who seems to always be getting 12 to 15 points a night. Um, You know, Miles Turner was a really interesting prospect, but like, is he actually going to be good? And then the biggest thing was Paul George. He was entering essentially the last year of his contract even though he had another year on his deal everybody in the nba knows uh once you get to the final two years of your contract you're either tradable or that player is not coming back if you don't resign him they didn't resign him to start the season and so with every loss and with every ebb and flow of the season i'm asking paul like are you okay is the team like is this where you want to be is the team yeah. doing enough for you is it supporting you are you doing enough to prove to the rest of your teammates that you can make this team a better contender in the eastern conference they didn't trade him at the deadline he got really uh upset that was awesome 
Uh, it, it creates good content, people. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he was upset that he was in trade rumors, and he was upset that they didn't trade for anybody to make the team better. It was, it was, it was great. Um, they lose. They get swept in the first round of the playoffs, and it was one of the most turbulent off-seasons, I believe, in Pacers history, which is also cool because I can go back and look at every history of the, of the team that I'm covering to sort of contextualize a year. And then um, – you know, Paul one day said I wanted to be a Pacer. I still want to continue to to be the guy on the team. This was at a charity softball event. And then a week later, they traded him. Or a week later, he wanted to, like, you know, it became clear that he wanted to be traded. Larry Bird left. Kevin Pritchard comes in as the number two. He now rises to the president of basketball ops, and they make the trade for Olin Depot and yeah. uh, Sabonis. And I, I will tell you guys, at the time, I was like, I don't think this is a good trade. Oh, <laughs> like, man. <laughs> uh, they, they surprised me with how well that trade actually worked out for the Pacers. But mm-hmm. you saw – I saw the story. I saw I saw where things were starting to get shaky, and then I saw ultimately an entire organization lose their head coach in Frank Vogel, lose their president of basketball operations in Larry Bird, who ultimately retired, and lose their star player in having to trade, you know, Paul George. It was a fascinating time. And yeah. so there was always something to write about. There was always something to talk about. Um, it made my job really easy. The best, the worst thing is if a team's boring and they're bad. <laughs> like, I, mean, like, I mean, like you could say, like, it sucks for you, but this is awesome for me. Like, yeah, it's cool. It's like, I don't, I don't get paid by the organization, right? I just, you know, I'm paid by the athletic. I'm paid by the Indianapolis Star. Obviously, people want to read what is truthfully going on with the team. Like, what is at the heart of the issue? you know, is it accurate? Um, Explain to people why the team is winning and losing, why Paul George maybe might be traded, why he doesn't want to be traded, why he wants the team to get better. But you have to explain to readers, they have no options. They have no first round pick of real consequence. They don't have a, they don't have money in their salary cap. And, you know, they're in a, they're in a mid-sized market in Indiana. Like they're not talented enough to where somebody can say, okay, I'm going to jump aboard and we're going to take the next step as a pacer. So you you have to bring reality to all of it. But because mm-hmm. it's all true, it's really, really interesting. That's why I, I love reading nonfiction stuff. I love documentaries. Tell me something that's true that is somewhat surprising or somewhat that I something that I wasn't necessarily sure of or something that I'm learning new for the first time. I think will always be interesting to people because we all know that, that life in a lot of ways um, – is too real to, to, to be like, to really comprehend your head around. Like who thought, you know, five years ago, we'd be in a pandemic, but this is reality and somebody needs to explain it to the best of their abilities. And whether that's, you know, a world health situation or why the chiefs are great on third and 15, it, it doesn't really matter. It's just, you need to tell the truth and people will usually find it fascinating if you get as many facts as you can about the particular topic. Right. Yeah. That's really you cool. you mentioned talking to Larry Bird, you know the likes of Larry Bird, Paul George. You get to talk to a Hall of Fame coach, future Hall of Fame quarterback on a, you know, a consistent basis. <laughs> so you know, what is your, what do you think your favorite interview is, or maybe your most famous interview, or someone that you know, this really stands out to you as like, that was a great interview, and that's a big personality. Yeah, that, that's a that's a really good question. Um, I I have a I have a couple that come to mind. 
Um, I, I do think that being around these guys and understanding that one, they're human, like they're still, they're still just like us, even though they're obviously on TV a ton. Um, I know this, this may like seem silly, but I really think it speaks to like how we all need to consider ourselves as like a, a, not a finished product. Like you're like, I'm always trying to get better whether that's writing, whether that's reporting, um, and using your eyes. And so a lot of times we think we know something or we know someone and it's just like, okay, like that's Andy Reid. Like I, I know him. Uh, I've played Madden and he's been on the sideline from the moment I've played Madden my entire life. Like what is there? What's, what's new about Andy Reid? Like, you know, like, he's he's a great coach um he's a really good you know handler of relationships with players and so I think one of my favorite interviews happened in training camp of last year and this is again just being around people but also not not being closed-minded if that makes sense and this is I'm gonna I'm I'm telling you guys I'm gonna tie it all in because it's silly but there's some real truth behind it I was at a off-season practice like an OTA practice basically they're like hey um here's the playbook hey like we're not in pads but like let's just get some timing down make sure guys are in shape um and I looked at Andy Reid's shoes and I was like why is he wearing Air Force Ones like it completely (laughs) stunned me like it was it was this was like in June I remember this is June of 2000 uh 19 and i was just like why like huh and then you start looking at every everybody else's shoes and obviously you know football players have cleats they're all you know special design they're all like really nice um pretty dope from a design standpoint but it's like how many nfl coaches wear like an iconic sneaker like an air force one (laughs) and so i just start googling i'm like all right google nfl coaches well obviously bill belichick doesn't do that and it's like you just start I used to start taking around. I'm just like, huh, that's like interesting. And so long story short, I convinced the chief's public relations staff. I'm like, Hey, um, I think I got a cool idea. Can I ask Andy Reid? Why does he wear air force ones? And they're like, I guess (laughs) they're literally like, I guess we could do that. And so at training camp last year before the team won a super bowl, before the team had a very like, you know, Disney like story, in terms of the ups and downs of their regular season before they obviously took off in the playoffs, um, I got time with Andy Reid, and I said, why Why do you love the Air Force One? Um, and what comes out of that story is, you know, it shows a different side of his personality that nobody had reported before. The idea that he switched from wearing Air Monarchs to, to Nike Air Force Ones because they were, one, stylish, two, comfortable, and he had actually worn the shoe in the late 80s when he was an assistant coach in college. Um, and he had sort of customized them and he gives them to players as a gift, which sort of shares a new insight to the relationship between he and the players. Like Travis Kelsey has signature Air Force Ones that Andy Reid wore during a game earlier in his career. Um, so it was a really cool story. Fans loved it. Um, it, it, it was one of those cases where, okay, I, I'm still finding new interesting things about somebody that I've known for two decades. And that's part of my job. 
And if I find it fascinating, and I would tell this to anybody, like if you're cert if you're looking at something and you find it to be fascinating, you're probably not the only one. It's just how do you present that to a broader audience so that they can understand why it fascinated you in the first place. And so Travis Kelsey gave me great quotes and insight as to like why Andy Reid wears the shoes. Uh, you know, Tyron Matthew and I had a really fun time talking about it where basically the whole interview was just us laughing, me laughing as I ask questions and laughing as he gives answers. And it explains that Andy Reid is a different coach because he bonds with his players slightly differently. And the sneaker game culture is legitimate. It's real. Um, guys want to play for a coach that they know is both smart and good at his job, but is a real person who has, you know, real feelings about them and can connect with them in ways that isn't football. This is a legitimate case where, you know, this has nothing to do with football, but these guys can all come together and, and, and really um, have some harmony uh, to be good at football. So it's one of my favorite interviews and people to this day still tweet me about that story about, I can't believe Andy Reid wears Air Force Ones. And it's like, yeah, that, that's why, that's the way I felt, you know, a year and a half ago, just um, getting the opportunity to ask uh, questions, asking the questions to coach that nobody had asked before. And that's always fun because it surprises them and you get surprising, you know, information out of it. I think that shows how strong the, chief's culture is and also you don't have to be like bill belichick and like he's like he's essentially like a football robot <laughs> you know you don't, yeah football robot. <laughs> you don't you don't have to be well, i mean I, I don't i don't think bill belichick's a bad person by any means but he's he, he's not very animated or like you know at least in public he doesn't have yeah. much personality so you don't it just shows you don't have to be you know, super football minded 24 seven. If you right. bond with your players, you can create kind of a, a championship, championship mentality, championship culture. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a, it, it's funny. Like we can all get to that conclusion, but the way we entered our path was through sneakers. It's, I mean, that's, that, that's weird, why, weird. that's why I love my job. It's just like, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it's like everybody talks about wasp and, it was the way for me to get to Patrick to be like, can I, can I actually understand your thought process, the entire play? And it's like, Oh, and if I get that answer, then maybe I could explain to people how you think as a whole, which is like completely wild, but it, it all started with one play. It all starts with, you know, a man's shoes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's really cool. And like, that's so cool. Like you were talking about, like, it doesn't feel like work. It's just like, you're living life. Like right at that point, it's just like, you're just living life, asking players, what they feel about shoes and like what they feel about Andy Reid. Like that's just really cool. And I think that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that, Jackson. No problem. I, uh, I might know the answer to this question because of how animated you were about your last, <laughs> you know, talking about interviews and everything. But my question is, you know, you do things, you interview people almost daily, you write for the athletic and you host a podcast for the athletic with two former guests, Joshua Briscoe and Seth Kaiser. So yes. what do you, what would you say is the favorite, your favorite facet of your job? Because you do a lot of different things, but you know, they all kind of tie into each other. You talk about your mm -hmm. writing on the podcast, you mentioned the podcast in your writing, you know, it all ties together. So what do you think is your favorite, the favorite facet of your job? Um, I think it's still the passion I have and still the excitement when I know I've found something 
really cool or really interesting or like, man, this is like newsworthy. Um, and that, like you said, kind of ties to all three, right? Um, mm-hmm. I love Seth and Josh. It's a long story. I didn't know who Seth was. Seth didn't know who I was. The Athletic put us together. They're like, this will work. <laughs> like, I, like, people are like, you guys must have been friends forever. And I'm like, no, we only became friends because um, our employer hired us literally at, uh, around the same time. I, I've known Josh or Briscoe a little bit longer, but um, we're all friends. And I know that the energy that we bring to the podcast, I think, comes through when people listen to it. And that's what's so fun and what really gets me going. Um you know, I, I I feel like the Chiefs are important to people, so I should take my job as serious as necessary, as silly as as, as that sounds. Um, but I know that, like, when it's a big game, like the Monday night game against the Ravens, when it's a big game, I want to bring my focus, my passion, my energy to what my job is requiring me to do. Um, even if I'm not at the game, and obviously I watched it at home because of the pandemic, I didn't I didn't travel to Baltimore, mm-hmm. um, and then taking all of that to the podcast because there's some things that I can tell you on the podcast that don't necessarily fit with a written story, mm-hmm. and sometimes there's things I can say on television that sound better than when you read the words that I'm that I'm saying out loud, you know. So mm-hmm. it's all a different form it's all you know these these different platforms or mediums uh, i would tell you guys and i would tell anybody who wants to get into sports journalism or, or news journalism or um even investigative stuff like trying a little bit of everything helps you make sense of the story so if i can talk about the story to myself or to you guys then it should help me write the story a little bit better and vice versa you know I will write my story after the game and then I'll talk to both Seth and Josh, you know, it'll give me a better understanding of like, well, here's where I'm coming from. And then I hear their perspectives and we just sort of bounce things around off of each other. And I still think that's the, the, the best part of it all other than like making sure that everything's accurate, making sure that I get the facts straight. Um, It's sort of bringing that enthusiasm because I know people care and I should make their time valuable. I should make, you know, I should do my best because, you know, people are subscribing. People are paying money for the service of The Athletic. Um, it, it's it's really humbling in a lot of ways. And everybody already knows the score of the game when we hit record for the podcast. So right. what information, what comedic relief, what, like, you guys might not you guys might not be thinking about this in the future or how it relates to something in the past like i'm always thinking in that context so that it makes the 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 podcast enjoyable for everybody and seth and, right. and josh know the same thing um you know they we got our own gimmicks which is hilarious cuz it builds sort of a rapport with people um but yeah i i i hope that answers the question but it's but that's that's the way i feel in the moment right now it's just always being there knowing people are paying for something and making the most of their time right yeah huge topic in our episode with josh briscoe was that you know people aren't subscribing to you or listening to you because of the news you present they're at some point after a few episodes or a few articles they're there for your personality 
Like, you know, you can read a few articles about, like, Tyreek Hill had this many touchdowns. We got an interception <laughs> in this game. You know, they felt good about this game against the Panthers, even though it was close. But also, you have an in-depth analysis of Andy Reid's face mask from week one. His face shield, <laughs> which was hilarious. That story was you made it you made it seem like an action thriller in your, uh, in your uh, story on the athletics so i think people really like what you do and like what people at the athletic do you know for your personality yeah mm-hmm. and, and and trying to bring something slightly different right um right. the most inter- the most interesting thing he said that day was about his mask so it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, they smashed the Texans, which I knew was going to happen. So what's the most interesting thing after the game? Well, honestly, it's it's his mask and then us as a as a media core asking him about it. And, you know, again, like I, I would text a couple people in the organization just to get their thoughts of it afterwards. And, yeah, it was – it's funny you mentioned that because, again, um, that's, a, that's another part of this job. You don't know where it's going to take you, right? I mean, nobody – Nobody knows who's going to really win or lose a game. Like, I have an idea. Like, I have a, a general sense of, like, who's better than than the other team. But, hey, you know, any given Sunday, somebody could lose. Somebody could get injured. To this day, um, I thought the season was over twice last year. Like, I thought oh, the yeah. season was – I thought the season was over in the opener against Jacksonville, where Jacksonville got so upset that Patrick was, like, you know, destroying them that they hurt his ankle. And he still played in the game, but it was clear that, like, ooh, he can't run. He can't really plant on that thing. Yeah, that injury's going to get worse. Like, people were telling me, like, who knows how long it's going to take for his ankle to get right. Well, then his knee popped out of his leg, you know? It was just like – so I I thought the season was over twice. Um, And I could have never seen that occurring. But that's what makes the job really, really interesting is that you have to react to news. You have to explain it. But – you know, I didn't know Andy Reid was going to show up <laughs> to the home opener right. this year with a foggy face mask. <laughs> yeah, because, like, any, because like any reporter could report the, you know, the score or, like, the yeah. big news. But for you. This is Mason, and I am editing this podcast right now. As you might be able to tell, we had a little bit of lag on the Zoom call, so Jackson didn't get his entire thought out right there. What he was trying to say, I believe, is that sports journalists can – kind of go above and beyond and have good stories by being creative and finding things that are outside of the box score. So get back to the episode right here. You know, different from uh, one reporter to the other reporter. And that's what I feel like is like a big thing in the, um, you know, just the sports journalism yep. job right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It, it's, it's okay to have a personality, but it's, you know, mm-hmm. I would still say it's all got to be based in, you know, you still got to be fact-based. You still got to get the right, you know, it's crazy, but it's like I still have to spell people's names right, even though I spelled them a hundred times. Like I can't misspell right. Patrick Mahomes' name in a story. <laughs> like that's that wouldn't be good. Um, you know, you still have to get the 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 score right. So it's it's thirty three thirty one. Like let's not confuse people. Um, even though it may you know the score may be on a hundred websites, um, you want to find truth and everything. But yeah, you can add you can add your personality within all of that, and you know mm-hmm. that's why I think. You know, whether it's, you know, Karen Black at high school, whether it's Charles, Charles Fair at, at UCM, who was my, our, our newspaper advisor, uh, whether it's my editor now, who is Brendan Roberts, and we talk throughout the game, and it's like, well, 
I think we should do this versus that. And we have a full conversation. And then Brendan will give me information that will allow me to contextualize or personalize it in some ways within the framework of what obviously occurred in the game from a, from a fact standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, I also have a question to kind of jump and ship a little bit, but um, I saw that you kind of worked for FCA and mm -hmm. maybe there's some athletes out there who are followers of Christ um, and like go and want to go into that standpoint. Can you tell us a little bit more about um, what FCA is and like how you worked in it? Yeah. So it's the fellowship of Christian athletes. It's a nonprofit. Um, but you know, I'm a Christian uh been that way my whole life and it's a it's a bit of a story but you know when we were in when me and my family were in indianapolis you know i was covering the pacers um and this happens but sometimes your wife gets a cool job and so my wife got a great job at barclay which is an advertising agency in kansas city and we had been discussing the idea of going back to kansas city because that's where i'm from of course Holly and her family are from South Iowa. Um, and so it's a quick drive down I-35. Um, it makes sense because we had, I think, a two and a half year old at the time. Um, so he could see his grandparents, he could see his uncles and aunts and his cousins. Um, and so I quit my job at the Indianapolis Star. Um, we moved back to Kansas City. It was a great time. Uh, somewhat nervous for me because I didn't know what I was going to do in my career. Um, was I going to continue writing about sports? Was I going to do something else? Um, how long was I going to take? And thankfully, Holly actually found the job posting for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And they were looking for a writer who could explain, I think in, you know, in a very emotional, but yet still fact-based manner, the interconnections between sports and faith. And okay. yeah. And so that's, so I applied for the job and I was, you know, grateful and fortunate, fortunate enough to get it. And so the best part about FCA was now I had the whole country and in some ways parts of the world to share sports stories. And so at a small level, FCA is about huddles and coaches and athletes having a greater influence on their peers or on the general public because, you know, there's a real sense that I believe that, you know, God gives us talents and mm -hmm. you can use them for good. You can use them in a negative context, obviously. Um, but how does whatever you do connect to who you are in your relationship with Christ? And ultimately, that's, that was always the, the heart of the story, right? So when I cover the Chiefs, the story can go a number of different ways. But at FCA, it was cool because it could always kind of start in a similar path. And then who, whoever coach or athlete I was talking to, obviously they would share their story and you would contextualize it in a way um, for either donors who wanted to give to FCA because it's a nonprofit, um, whether it was for high school athletes that wanted to know why does somebody, you know, how did somebody get to the Olympics when that's such a hard thing to do. And at the same time, there's a lot of pressure and, you know, much like it is in any stage of life, you know, how can you be still, you know, focused and sound biblically in your own faith, you know, yeah. in all of these different things. So um, it was a, it was a great time. I worked there for eight months or so. Um, 
I wrote stories about, you know, Patty Gasco, who was the, who is the Oklahoma softball coach. Uh, she's been there for years. They've won national championships. Um, and, you know, part of her recruitment, part of her ability to coach her athletes is with full on principles that come from the Bible. Um, you know, Ernie Johnson is someone that I grew up watching for years on, you know, inside the NBA. And now mm -hmm. I'm interviewing him about how his, you know, his life has changed because of, you know, he became a Christian late in his life as a, as a already fully formed adult man. Um, you know, he's already had trials with his, with his own health, uh, with the health of his son, but yet what keeps him stable, what keeps him still being a great broadcaster and what gave him the strength to be, you know, slightly more progressive than the average broadcaster. Well, all of those reasons are because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, I mean, it was, it was cool because I would do basketball stories and I'd do Olympic stories and I'd do high school stories. Like I could do anything. Like there were huddles in, I think, South Korea that I could write about where it's like, hey, there are athletes at the high school level in South Korea who mostly play soccer, but they're now, you know, spreading the faith through the actual sport itself. Um, and so much like I was saying earlier, if Andy Reid shoes are a way to get to a conversation about the Chiefs culture and their relationships, um, much can be the same way about, you know, how does God influence this person that is also great at athlete, you know, being an athlete or great at, you know, sports in general. I do huddles um, at my school because I'm a part of FCA too. We do, we used to do huddles last year every single Friday, but ever mm -hmm. since, you know, the pandemic hit, we couldn't do anything. And it's been just a big impact how I play sports and stuff is just to remember, like, how does God influence yep. me as a person? That's just always been my mindset throughout, like, journalism, sports and stuff. But that's really cool. Yeah, for sharing of about course. That. Yeah. Really cool. I, I think people, I think most people know about my faith because, again, you, you can show your personality, your personality in this in this business. But it was it was interesting, like, leaving a place where, um, you know, I would meet athletes that I had no idea who they were. Um, yeah. And so one of the things that like I got to do and I need to look this person up, but I, I think her name is Blair, but she was a women's uh, shooting guard for, um, Oh, what college did she go to Mississippi state? I believe like in women's basketball, they're really good. Um, she went to Mississippi state's FCA huddle. She was obviously a part of that part of their like leadership team. Um, and Mississippi state was trying to go to the women's final four. So they are regional uh semifinal and final were played in Kansas City. So I just followed her and her family. It just so happens her father is the, was the coach of Mississippi State at the time. And I interviewed them and really followed them around for, you know, that five-day period of like, all right, you're in Kansas City. You're trying to get back to the Final Four. They lost in the national championship game, I think, to North – it was either to Notre Dame or – I can't remember which one, but they, but they lost. They're trying to get back. So you can get all those – sports themes in there too but then you know what does it mean when you know you're trying to explain how she's grown as a person of faith that has obviously helped her you know become a better basketball player how do you connect those two things and it was cool watching them like win that game I think they beat UCLA to go to the to the final four and you could really see like the emotion both spiritually and 
from just a competitor standpoint of what it takes um, to, to get to your, your goal. Right. I mean, that's what we all kind of want to do in life. And a lot of times it was fun to just sort of see that in person and try to write it for people to understand um, the importance of FCA and what it can mean to people uh, if they, if, and when they get involved. Yeah. That sounds like a really cool opportunity. And um, I think you were mentioning earlier about how, once you're around people, you can relate to them more and you'll be able to ask better questions and things like that. But when you're interviewing for FCA, you already have kind of a common ground with that person. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, we're both Christian. We both have these values. So I think that is def it's a really good experience. And I think that's a really interesting side that I'm interviewing people about sports, but I'm interviewing them about their relationship with God and things like that. Yep. Yeah. And it's, them. Exactly. And um, it, it kind of, yeah, it kind of breaks a barrier already. Right. You know, if, especially if I'm meeting somebody for the first time, which is also, which is always like, no matter how long I'll do this, I always get nervous. I'm like, man, man what if, what if I don't ask the right questions? What if this goes horribly wrong? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, what if I don't have enough time uh, to do this in the best of my abilities? So yeah, having, having that common ground um, really does help, you know, make the process a little smoother. So at the end of our show, we're not there yet, but I got one more question before <laughs> our little quick questions here. So, you know, you've been involved with a lot of organizations, a lot of sports organizations. You were at the Indiana Pacers. You were at the Chiefs. You've written for other publications and you were part of FCA. So what do you think is in store for your future? Do you think you will continue covering the Chiefs? Or do you think do you think you'll stay with the athletic? What do you what do you think where do you think you will be in like ten years? Um, man, what a what a fun topic because I honestly haven't thought about that in a while. <laughs> I feel like the pandemic threw every plan out the window, which is like sad uh, in a lot of ways. But I I don't know. I mean, I feel like my goals have changed throughout my career, which again is weird to say ten years in now, but like. Um, I'm not going to leave the Chiefs beat anytime soon, I don't think, uh, if the Athletic will continue to, to, to want me to, to cover the team. But um, I just think there's a couple more themes and a couple more years that I'm very interested in exploring. Um, interestingly enough, this is my third year covering the Chiefs. This is the longest I've ever covered a professional sports team. So I did the, I did the Knicks for a couple years. Uh, I did the Pacers for a couple years. I've covered some college programs for about a year and a half, um, most notably Florida Atlantic. Uh, you know, I was at FCA for eight months. Had no plans to really leave in there until, you know, the athletic opportunity came along and some friends kind of encouraged me um, because they knew I had watched the Chiefs all my life. But I, I, think, I think for me, in the short term, I want to still cover this team because 2018 was so – like the whole season was about Patrick. Um, you know, first time as a starter, uh, the team traded away Alex Smith. He is the first first round pick quarterback in a generation. Like the last time they took Todd Blackledge, I wasn't alive, which is hilarious. So the whole year in 18 came down to can Patrick Mahomes succeed? Who is he? You know, is he is he the start of a new day for the franchise? All those answers were yes pretty early. Um so much of 19 was about redemption. The idea that 
they got so close to the Super Bowl, and could they redeem themselves in another year with Patrick? Obviously, they revamped the defense. Um, this year is pretty easy. It's similar to the last dance, but it's like now you're achieving, you're trying to achieve something different, which is the run it back campaign. Like so many guys started, you know, using that phrase in in about March, April, like, hey, we want to run it back. We want to be back back champions. That is so hard to do in the NFL. So that's the theme of this year. Um, there will be a theme next year just because either they're going to succeed or fail at this mission, right? And then how do yeah. you respond from that? And then maybe year five will be really about Andy Reid, right? How long can he keep doing this at this high level? And, hey, maybe, you know, in two years' time, is Tyreek Hill still on the team? Is Travis Kelsey still on the team? Tyron Matthew? It may be a whole new collection of characters with the two mainstays being Mahomes and Reid. Um, so I've thought about this from, like, a five-year standpoint. Like, hey, maybe I want to cover the team for five years. Um, I've actually had conversations with my buddy, Therese Paler, who writes for Yahoo Sports. He used to cover the Chiefs for the Kansas City Star. He did it for five years. So it's like, well, he, if he can do it for five years, maybe I can do it for five years. Um, this is a harder job, but one of my, like, big pie-in-the-sky uh, dreams, this is back in college, was just to be a long feature writer, like a long magazine feature writer. Um, they don't, we don't have many of those anymore. And it's cool because the athlete likes me to write pretty long about certain Chiefs topics. But it would be nice to, at some point, maybe, uh, while doing it from Kansas City, because I've seen Joel Paznanski do it. I've seen Elizabeth Merle do it from ESPN. Uh, write, you know, longer stories that have real meaning, whether that's about faith or, you know, other issues that intersect with sports as well, whether that's political, um, whether that's, you know, health standpoint, could you explore that in the future? Um, I don't know if that'll be the case in 10 years, but as long as I continue to do something in sports journalism, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll be happy. Like it's always, it's always been a, uh, been a great profession to be a part of. And look, I mean, I didn't know you guys would be asking me questions uh, a year ago. So who knows what's going to happen between now and 10 years, but hopefully it'll be, you know, as impactful and as positive and I'll still be passionate about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we're kind of near the end, like towards the end of our show. And we like to do with every guest, we like to give some like quick little fun questions. Um, so for the first one, what is your favorite Kansas city barbecue restaurant? Gotta ask this question. You live in Kansas city. Gotta love it. It's Gates, and it's not close. Okay. What at Gates? So you're at Gates, right? You're at yep. Gates with the wife, the family. What are you getting? Most people will do uh, beef on bun. I understand it. I respect it. I am mostly a burnt ends on a hoagie guy, like I and just dripping, like just drowning it in sauce. <laughs> so I love burnt. I love the burnt ends at at at, at most uh, Kansas City establishments, but I love it particularly at Gates. I'm a pulled pork sandwich kind of guy. I like pulled pork sandwiches. Yeah, I agree with yeah, the I'm... pulled pork thing. <laughs> my, my, to this day, my wife still thinks Joe's is the best. And Joe, Kansas City is good. Joe's is great. I still call Oklahoma Joe's, but like, yeah. it's still, I mean, yeah. that's probably my favorite. Yeah. Um, too. But Gates, yeah. their sauce is so I'm good. telling you, man. It's, mm -hmm. like, so it's, it's the best thing. Uh, yes, I will, I, will, I will get Joe's ribs. And put gate sauce on it. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to 
pay you for that. Good. <laughs> yeah, there's a kind of a most of the people we interview are from Kansas City, so there's, you know, it kind of shows how much of a community Kansas City has with these kind of things because. In our last few episodes, we've asked about barbecue every time, uh-huh. and everyone has an answer for this question. <laughs> everyone either everyone either says, I like burn-ins from this place, but I like this place's sauce better. Everyone has an opinion, and I think it's really cool that our city can, can kind of have this. Like, you could ask probably anyone in the city mm-hmm. that's lived here for more than a year, and they would have an in-depth ex- explanation of that question. I think that's really, really cool. Yeah, and even even my buddy Jason Jinks, who went to KU University um, to study journalism, he's a he's a he's one of our feature writers at the Athletic. Um, I think this came out this morning, or it came on my app this morning. But like, he just wrote a story about um, how barbecue was so important to the Negro Leagues and to the Kansas City Monarchs. So mm-hmm. it's it's it, you could you could track this all the way back from like the 1930s um, and baseball in Kansas City and how important you know. Uh, you know, obviously Gates came a little bit later, but Arthur Bryant's um, was like a really important establishment to the Negro League players, which obviously involved Jackie Robinson and Satchel Page and Buck O'Neill. Like, it's crazy, but like people have talked about barbecue in Kansas City <laughs> in like a, for like a century now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's even cool that it relates to sports too. And, you know, we can do those kind of stories at The Athletic. Yeah. Yeah, another quick question. Uh, I think I asked I asked Seth Kaiser this with a little different. <laughs> with, it's a little it's a little yeah. different like question. You'll be able, you'll see what I mean. So, who would you take in like a fist fight, Briscoe <laughs> or Seth Kaiser? I mean, <laughs> does Josh have children? The answer is no. Therefore, I'm picking Seth. <laughs> yeah. Okay, a man's fighting for his life. And for the future of his children, um, yep. don't show this to Josh Briscoe. <laughs> he, he probably already knows the answer. He already knows the answer, but I gotta go with Seth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, at the end of our shows, we have a recurring segment every time. It is called the Wheel, and uh, what the Wheel is is we uh, kind of so excited get- for this. <laughs> <laughs> we. Uh, we give you a wheel of things that kind of relate to your job or uh, things like that. So can you guys see my screen right now? Yes. Yes, I can. Uh Oh, so I see plenty of names. <laughs> so what I've done here is uh, <laughs> you obviously see, you know, players relevant to the Kansas city chiefs on the Kansas city chiefs, you know, some of the front office people. So I know you get to interview a lot of these people. So I just want you to give maybe a little funny story or just mm-hmm. some like, you know, just the best insight you can give about this particular player in an interview you've done personally with them. Yeah. Um, Let's do it. I'm just now realizing I didn't put Patrick Mahomes on here. I don't think unless I'm. That's so. <laughs> unless I'm well, not I, seeing I mean, it. I can, yeah, I can. Yeah, I don't see him, but I can give a, I think the, I think the most fascinating thing I, I, I've. The, okay, here's one. And maybe Josh, Josh was there with me. He was in the locker room with me last year. We were both like, okay, maybe the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> but I think it was either before or after the, the Titans game. You know, he obviously came back from his dislocated kneecap. Um, he was still like not 100% yet when they played the Titans. They somehow ended up losing that game. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, well, the only way they're going to win is if they need this dude to be like fully healthy. And the moment I knew Patrick was healthy was, I think, before they played the Patriots in December 
and he was playing Ooh. basketball in the team's locker room. Like they have a <laughs> they have a basketball hoop in the locker room, and he was shooting bas. He was like he was shooting jumpers in slides, and I was like, dude, what are you doing? Like you got to play the Patriots on Sunday. You got to like try to beat Tom Brady, which he hadn't he hadn't done yet. And he was shooting like three pointers in the Chiefs locker room in slides. And like, kind of like, you know, giving a little shake to him and like doing, doing things we would all do on the basketball court, just kind of playing around. And I was, I, I kind of looked at Patrick and Patrick kind of looked at me and I was like, oh, he's healthy. <laughs> like, oh, like, I can't really report this right now. Cause I got to see it of course. And like, he didn't tell me like word for word. Like he didn't say like, Hey Nate, tell the world, like I'm back. But it was kind of that look of like, he's shooting jumpers in the locker room like the day and a half before they play the Patriots his knee was like out of its socket like two months ago and Josh Josh was with me in the locker room and we just kind of looked at one another and we said he wouldn't do that if he wasn't healthy right (laughs) so uh, from that moment on kids they never lost a game that year they won every game from that moment on and it was just like wow and I think I put that I put that little anecdote in a story about the Chiefs like just loving like all the players love basketball and I put that in and like Josh was like you got to put that in the story and I did but I remember that was like one of those true small moments where you're like if that guy is doing that and he's healthy they may not lose another game all year and they didn't lose another game all season they went on and won the Super Bowl yeah Yeah. Patrick Mahomes has created a lot of controversy by playing basketball (laughs) Yes, and this, oh, yeah, yes. Exactly. and this was after this is after Brett Beach was like, can you please not do that? We're going to give you <laughs> half a billion dollars, sir. <laughs> so Patrick is Patrick is obviously ultimate, like an ultimate competitor. Uh, fun dude. Always, always. It, he's always doing something interesting, which is great for like, again, people like me and, and, for, and for fans. But yeah, I'll never forget that day. Him shooting jumpers, not in shoes. Not barefoot in the locker room in Adidas slides because obviously he's he's got the huge endorsement from Adidas and just I like that Adidas I like that Adidas uh, saying he got there yeah like he, he yeah. was just shooting he's shooting jumpers in Adidas slides like two days before they played the Patriots it's just like who does this after their knee was like not in its proper place two months earlier like I wouldn't be doing that but hey uh you know Patrick Mahomes has a very a very unique body that lets him do crazy things. And, uh, yeah, they never lost after that game or after that day, I should say. Yeah, he he might have uh, – you know, he was a three-sport athlete in high school. So, I mean, I don't know if he could have gone pro in basketball or, like, even played, like, for a D1 school in basketball, but easily could have yeah. for uh, baseball. For baseball, it's, yeah. It kind of shows, like, he still has a passion for these sports even though he's the best football player on the planet. Yep. And he would, and he would, and he would want to kill you in basketball if, if, it, if he had the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me of uh, Michael Jordan. And we mentioned the last dance earlier, yep. a little bit of that competitive, that just ultra competitiveness, like crazy yep. competitiveness. Mm-hmm. I'm going to spin this wheel a few times. See what you think about. I cannot believe I did not put Patrick Holmes on this wheel. I don't understand. <laughs> Oh boy. Ah, look at that. All right. 
Damian, Damian Williams. Williams. Um, so he's opted out for this year, of course. Um, we hope his mother's doing okay with her cancer treatment. Because um, yeah. I think he said it was stage four uh, as like one of the reasons why he opted out, of course, amid the, the virus. I'm trying to think back to like last year. Um, there was, I think, like... I'll, I'll give two quick stories. One was after the Minnesota game. So they, they won that game with Matt Moore as the backup quarterback. And um, Damian Williams was so angry that Tyreek Hill chased him down on his 91 yard touchdown run. <laughs> so, so like, even after the game, he was so angry. And, it's like, and he's like, I thought he was going to tackle me. And I was like, well, he was your teammate. So you don't have to worry about that. But, um, but I remember him just being like, I just had one of the best games of my life. And Tyreek Hill embarrassed me in front of everybody with his speed. Um, and then secondly, it was, the, it, was a, it was a really cool thing for him to start his career in Miami. And I wrote about this like the week of the Super Bowl, that he was back in Miami, back in his old locker room of all places, because I think the Chiefs practiced at the Dolphins facility. And so he had his old locker in his old locker room preparing for the Super Bowl. Uh, where his career began, and we we chatted about that, and it, I just remember, you know, knowing how cool that was for him, and kind of getting a sense of like he understood the moment, um, and I think we all want that in our careers, right? Like, hey, if this is like, if this is the Super Bowl of of your career, you want to play your best, and he was like, I don't want to. I remember him saying like, I don't want to get too emotional right now because I want to use that emotion in the game. And um, outside of Patrick Mahomes, he was the best player on the field um for the Chiefs and what he did in the fourth quarter against the 49ers is is real legendary stuff but um I just remember how how special he knew the moment was for him to play in the Super Bowl back in Miami um knowing that 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 was going to be the biggest game of his career and man did he did he play like it was it's a good example of athletes and people we look up to being real humans because they have these sentimental moments too like another thing that happened I guess that was also it in uh, Miami when Tua, after he got those few snaps in the end of that game, he went out and sat on the 15 yard line and like took it all in at Hard Rock Stadium. Because he got injured on the 15 as uh, at, at Alabama, and it was really mm-hmm. surreal to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I think. Do you want to do one more spin, or do you just want to leave it at that? I think no, you gave... no, we can do let's let's do one more because let's I... do one more. Okay. Because it'll be, it'll be interesting to see who this lands on. Um, All right. Wow, Eric Fisher. <laughs> Hilarious. Okay. Um, Eric Fisher is a very quiet dude. Um, and there are people like that in this world. Uh, that like I, I don't know if I would consider him introverted, but he's okay with like not being in the spotlight. Um, which is a very, like, offensive lineman trait. Um, I wrote about this in The Athletic the, the, the day or two following his, his touchdown reception, uh, his one NFL catch against the Baltimore Ravens. Oh, yes. <laughs> and so um, the, the, the cool thing was, was that we talked to him, I think, the Wednesday after the game. And so, obviously, offensive linemen don't score touchdowns a lot. Um, he had never had an NFL reception. I looked that up on, on, on Google. I was like, does Eric Fisher ever catch the ball? No, he doesn't. Um, the Saturday before they flew to Baltimore, because it was a Monday night game, so their last practice was on Saturday. 
the Chiefs do a drill um, during every Friday or Saturday practice before a Monday night game where they have the offensive linemen do a receiving drill. This is, this is, a, this is a real thing. Like, guys okay. run 10-yard fade routes, and an assistant coach will pass them the football. And so I've seen Mitchell Schwartz catch a ball with one hand. Uh, I've seen Austin Ryder sort of, like, use his, t- his chest like it's a bread basket to catch the ball. <laughs> um, and so I was, I was out there at practice, you know, wearing my mask, socially distanced. But I was watching the linemen do their normal routine, and Eric Fisher caught a couple passes, and he, he caught it with his hands. And so it's like, okay, well, you know, uh, the, those guys can always dream, right, of a certain situation. And then Eric looked at me, because obviously he recognized that I was there, and he was like, where's all the reporters at? Now, you have to remember it's a Saturday because there's college football games going on, um, and obviously the Chiefs are playing on Monday night, so there's not real, like, there's not a huge news pack. Like, I didn't write that day, but I was just there just to observe what the team was doing as their final preparations for the Ravens. And he was asking me, like, where's everybody at? Does everybody not see – it's basically like, does, does nobody see me catch a pass? And – Eric might have known then, two days before the game, that they were maybe going to call that play against the Ravens. And Mahomes didn't throw the most accurate pass because he actually – Eric had to, like, jump to catch the ball. But he caught it. And it was a, it was a really cool moment um, because the guy is really good at his job and nobody really talks about it because uh, they have a team of Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Andy Reid, like – like, there's more people to talk about than Eric Fisher. He is really good at his job. And so to see him be rewarded and to know that I watched him catch a similar touchdown pass um, in practice two days earlier, it's, it's kind of cool because you could sort of explain that as to, like, hey, this wasn't the first time he did this, and I actually saw him do it two days earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Also, his celebration uh, after is, like <laughs> – and the whole catch, just the whole sequence is just, like, stuff of legends. Like, that's yeah, something just- – just say, hey, you, you hot potato. Yeah, it was great. They, they had clearly planned this. They had clearly practiced the play and the celebration. Yeah, for sure. So I think that's going to do it for the wheel. I think that was a that was a great segment of the wheel. You had some really good insight on that. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you guys for having me, honestly. This was, this was a lot of fun. Oh, it really was. So, yeah, at the end of every show, we have our last question. Usually our uh, producer, Anthony Marti, asks it, <laughs> but he uh, he is sick and he cannot come on today. So had to kind of do this with just us two. It's been good so far, though. I think this is might have been my favorite one. I think I say that every time. <laughs> But, uh, this one, this one's gonna be. It, it is a really good one. It's gonna be this longer than the Seren Petro one too. And the Seren Petro one was like an hour and eight minutes. And yeah, I think that was our longest one. This is the. Oh, okay. One. Well, hey, I have something over Seren now. Yeah. <laughs> so our question at the end of every show is: If there's one thing you could say to anyone that looks up to you, it could be something like, you know, somewhat inspirational mm. or just kind of. You know, just people that look up to you in general, what would you say to them? Uh, one, I would say thanks. Um, I mean, I get it's it's an honor. Um, and then I, I try to sneak this in to some degree, and I, I guess I haven't earlier. But one bit of advice that I always tell people, and I learned this from Wright Thompson, so this is not like technically my idea. This is something that I'm giving 
to the next generation the same way he gave it to, to me at a journalism conference. But Wright Thompson is one of the best sports writers of all time, um, in my opinion. Um, he's great. He's written stories uh, that have really resonated with me. Um, but one thing he always said, and, and the thing that I try to give was like, we always think about the start of something. And that's really important because, you know, how does the movie start? How does the story start? How does the podcast start? All of these things are, are obviously important, but do we think about the ending enough? And so I'm always trying to explain to people that if you think that I've thought about the story, I've thought about the ending almost all the time. Um, because you got to end somewhere. And, and the great analogy is we always remember how a movie ends. We always remember how a song ends, especially if a song makes you feel a certain. And again, I want to use my time wisely because you've given me your time, whether you're reading me, listening to the podcast, television or whatnot. But like, how do you end something to where it can be memorable, enriching, and you know, worth the time that it took to get there. And so I always try to tell people that like, if I write about Andy Reid sneakers, I need to know what the ending is based on everything I've reported, based on the amount of people I've talked to. Like, I don't want people to get to the end and be like, well, that sucked. <laughs> like, like, I want them to feel like it was worth it. And so it doesn't matter what you do in life, whether it's writing stories, whether it's doing something creatively, or just how you want to leave an impression, like think about the ending just as much as you think about the beginning. I appreciate that, man. That is a, it's a really cool way to think about life. And it's a different perspective that, you know, a lot of people probably don't think about. And I don't really think about, you know, it's a, it's definitely different. So thank you so much, Nate Taylor, for coming on. This has been a great episode. Definitely our longest episode (laughs) with the most content. I'm going to be able to get a lot of uh, little Instagram clips and things out of this so I can promote the podcast. So uh, thank you everyone for watching and uh, we see, we'll see you guys later. Peace. Peace out guys.